economic justice comes, when great minds begin to not only think alike, but think out loud. The wealth of our nation not determined by fluctuating numbers. We are the ones in charge. We are the ones in charge. So imagine, imagine if knowledge to us was both power and tool, if wisdom was school, if we ourselves drafted the policies which govern and rule. Revolutionaries are not fighters. They are conversation starters. Economic justice is when the grass is greener in all sides. This is Sighting Africa. Welcome to this episode of Citing Africa, brought to you by Jack Halland, Clemmie Borthwick, Sam Jelly, and Morgan Peterson from the London School of Economics and Political Science. The poem you just heard was by Nolotando Butelezi, presented at the launch event of the Institute for Economic Justice in Johannesburg in 2018. The Institute for Economic Justice, also known as the IEJ, is a South African think tank that produces knowledge in the interests of inclusive and transformative development based on principles of social and economic justice. Working at the intersection of policy, research and advocacy, the IEJ explicitly aims to provide the country's policymakers and progressive social forces with access to rigorous economic analysis as a basis for advancing systemic change and a more just economy. The IEJ focuses on six key research areas, climate, energy and infrastructure, feminist economics, macroeconomic policy, new economic futures, social security and workers' rights. In today's episode, we will be taking a deep dive into the IEJ as it is an interesting case study of an African research centre which takes an alternative approach to knowledge production on the continent. We will be exploring the IJ's origins, approach, funding and its relationship with broader knowledge and policy networks within South Africa and the rest of the continent. We hope that through investigating the IJ, we will be able to uncover some lessons on how to build and promote knowledge production successfully in support of transformative development in an African context. Specifically, we hope to address some key questions. Firstly, what actually is economic justice? What does it mean both ideologically and practically to produce knowledge for economic justice? And finally, how does the IEJ's pursuit of economic justice shine a light on the broader context of knowledge production within South Africa and across the continent? But before we start, let's quickly take a step back and reflect on the importance of knowledge production within development with the help of some ideas from fellow LSE alumnus, the late professor Tindika Makendawire. In Makendawire's 2014 paper on the spread of economic doctrines and policymaking in post-colonial Africa, he argues that if you are to understand the last 50 years in Africa or the future of the continent, then the ideas that have been deployed matter especially because the link between ideas and policies is much more sharply drawn with respect to economic policy than in any other social policy. Makandawira traces economic thinking as moving between three periods that have been recently dominated by neoclassical and neoliberal viewpoints, even in the post-Washington consensus era. Makandawira stresses that the demands of aid donors for specific types of knowledge and skills have always played a significant role in determining the trends within African knowledge production. 
Donors' preeminence became especially pronounced in the era of adjustment, crowding out local ideas about the economy and local special interests. And what are the consequences of these externally imposed ideas about African development? Here are some students' opinions from an IEJ Rethinking Economics event. Um, that the economics that is taught and practice doesn't really deal with the real world economic problems that uh, are faced in South Africa and on the continent. Because the need for rethinking economics is probably felt much more urgently here than anywhere else. The progressive movement, the ideas that are brought forth by different classes of people, different types of people, people with different educational backgrounds, are quite critical at a moment in our country where we need to change the dynamics and the structural issues. An aspect of economic justice which comes to the forefront is the need to step away from economic thought and doctrines that have been imposed on rather than emerging out of African experience and knowledge, an idea that Makendawire emphasizes at the launch event of the IEJ. There's a vacuum, a huge intellectual vacuum that needs to be filled in. We are not only late industrializers, not only late, late industrializers, and not only late, late, late industrializers. We have an obligation to think in a way which, which, in which nobody else has thought about, because they have never had that experience, for thinking in ways which are unusual, because our situation is unusual, to the economists or to the profession, that unless they rethink their way of doing things, and, and uh, uh, relate themselves to the struggles for justice and, and for development, we have no use for them. That, that, I think there's nothing wrong in saying that. It's clear that there's a real need for organizations that produce homegrown knowledge that directly serves African nations. And as Makandawira states, an organization that relates themselves to the struggles for justice and development. The IEJ seems to really fill this gap. We wanted to investigate this further by interviewing Bandila Ngidi, a project manager who has been with the IEJ since its founding. Bandile, welcome to Citing Africa. Thank you for joining us. We've been discussing the role of knowledge in Africa's development and the fact that it has suffered from a lack of pluralism in ideas and has lacked knowledge produced by Africa for Africa in the interests of African development. So Bandile, could you tell us a bit more about why the IEJ was founded? How has it brought something new to the marketplace of ideas? Why the IEJ was founded was to fill a gap uh, in South African economic policymaking where the sort of previous landscape was dominated by fairly conservative uh, neoliberal policy prescripts and where South African economic policymaking really um, centered in a few key institutions, so certain universities and in the national treasury and affiliated organizations. So the IEJ emerged a new voice to, you know, sort of uh, contribute to the economic policy debate, in particular from a progressive perspective. So from a pro-poor, a pro-labor um, union, uh, trade union, pro-marginalized uh, perspective. With this in mind, how has the policymaking space been shaped by these policy prescripts, as you mentioned, and the context of South Africa at the time? African policymaking has unfolded in the post-apartheid era, uh, was heavily influenced by the economic forces that we uh, that the country found itself post-apartheid. So IHA was founded in that policy space where we've got these three big challenges of poverty and especially unemployment and inequality and having come out of a neoliberal policy doctrine. The founding of the IJ, it sort of came after some extensive consultation following the founding of another organization called the National Minimum Wage Research Institute. And there was a great need to 
provide a sort of an, an, a rigorous intellectual and economically and, you know, sort of economically and methodologically robust uh, support to the popular calls for a national minimum wage. Okay, so it's clear that rigorous economic analysis is a major driving factor of the IEJ's research. But as the name suggests, in seeking economic justice, how does the IEJ bring the notion of justice into its knowledge production? And how does it go about seeking justice for African issues? And that has to do with, I think, part of the IEJ's character uh, in being a research and advocacy-based uh, organization. So as, as part of our strategy, it's not purely just producing research. It's taking an active effort to uh, collaborate with um, civil society uh, and also to uh, advocate for. So publish uh, and you know, host forums for discussion uh, and, and all these sort of things where you're not just producing knowledge, you're actively sharing it and actively uh, generating uh, discussion. On it. I, I really want to dig into how the IEJ avoids a situation of essentially preaching from an ivory tower. So in what you were just speaking about, how does the IEJ make sure that it can kind of connect um, with people on a more general level and, and remove itself from this academic background, which is as useful as you say, but also can sometimes be restrictive in that regard? Firstly, there's kind of like easy things building into like our strategy as an organization, building com effective communication, uh, planning around advocacy, uh, sort of those organizational things like what's on our mind now is to what extent do we translate policy briefs into indigenous African languages? How do we up the game in, in how often we appear in uh, both traditional media and new media? And then uh, how well do we train ourselves to be there? The deeper question though is this, there's, there's a certain humility you need to have. The IJ is not like a mass-based organization. Our role is to, in a, in a showing humility and being effective, is to place ourselves in partnership with partner organizations that are already doing this mobilization. It's that academics will try to come down, save uh, the masses of people. And, you know, there's a politics to that. Uh, and it's something that we actively sort of try to avoid. The process of actually developing the policy, taking the, the direction of the research work in from its inception must include people uh, and include progressive forces. In determining what it means both ideologically and practically to produce knowledge for economic justice, the notion of partnership and connection seem to be a vital component. As you mentioned, not just producing knowledge, but actively generating conversation and partnering with mass organizations, arming and empowering different groups with knowledge and research produced by the Institute. But what has been the impact of the IEJ? And has its strategy for harnessing both research and advocacy been a successful one? Do you think the IEJ did have, has had a, a, a big splash? I think the IEJ did have a bit of a disrupting influence. Best concrete example, I think, was uh, in 2020. So just uh, two months into the, the, the national lockdown, uh, which started in March 2020 in South Africa, um, the IEJ published a, uh, our own costing uh, of what a fiscal package to support South Africa's COVID-19 response. Uh, and we came out kind of guns blazing um, before the government uh, had released uh, its own cost. Uh, and that kind of uh, caused a bit of a stir because, you know, we were out the gates before the government uh, and we uh, set ourselves to keeping track of, after releasing our own costing, then uh, keeping track of what uh, the government was, was doing, but in an active way. So in the media, 
in uh, convenings that we held with our civil society partners, that sort of thing. Is this strategy something that you think could be achieved everywhere? Or is there something specific about the South African context that allows for the IEJ's unique approach to work so effectively? The forces in South Africa are quite well organized, well, are, are historically very strong. So labor unions are historically very strong. The energy that exists in progressive forces, what the IEJ has been able to do is kind of supplement that with the rigor and expertise, along with other organizations, a very symbiotic process. And it's a process where uh, that energy is there and we've kind of pushed it forward by being the uh, playing that role of supplementing mass movements. Yeah. Uh, the fact that South Africa is a richer economy, so international organizations in general have a better footing uh, in this country. So the number of international organizations such that if they have uh, regional or continental head offices would probably have them in South Africa. And so the ease of access to funders is, is, is plays a role. And I'm speaking generally. We'll say though that the IEJ is not unique on the continent. Uh, I, I definitely think the continent is is not like a, a barren wasteland where nothing happens outside of South Africa. And I think it's good. It must be said that there are quality uh, institutions that work very hard to kind of do research in, in, in various fields uh, across the continent. So it's pretty clear that the IEJ operates successfully in this interface between research and advocacy. But is there ever any tension between the IEJ's broad-based social goals and its position within the academic and policy space? So there is a tension of a sort, I think, between us being an academic or research-producing institution and our broad-based social goals. Because on the one hand, uh, in order for us to be credible and to uh, actually have a footing in policy-making spaces, we have to have that academic rigor, uh, research rigor, evidence-based rigor in, in what we're saying. So often to dedicate a lot of time to making sure that we've gotten stuff right, that our arguments are correct, that the evidence we're using is correct. Uh, what that causes tension with maybe on the one hand the speed with which we can move as the political uh, climate shifts you're doing deep research and doing rigorous research makes things you've got things right make sure you've got things right sometimes you know political moment can move you and there might be the risk that you know when a certain political moment hits uh, secondly it's a question of accessibility if you're doing deep rigorous research you have the connect with the masses there's the extra work of trying to convert that knowledge uh, or those insights into a uh, a way that's digestible and and i think digestible in a way that inspires uh, action there's the question of you need to do the research so that it holds up to scrutiny but at the same time you need to do it quickly enough and be able to be connected and partner with others enough that uh, you can sustain the social call to action otherwise you know you might be left behind at the launch of the iej makandewere did stress the significant role that external funding and aid plays in shaping knowledge production on the continent frequently failing to serve African nations' interests. So who are the IEJ's funders? And have you ever had any conflicts arising from IEJ funding? If not, how have you managed to avoid this? We've got a number of funders from four different aspects of our work. So, for example, uh, my own work is funded by the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung, which is a German uh, foundation. But the, the general vein of kind of international uh, organizations, uh, other of our work, uh, I think, including the Feminist Economic Summer School. So we're able to kind of say to funders, look, this is 
really needed. Uh, and this is kind of the work that's pushed things to some of like our budget work and, and feminist economics work, for example. This work has been happening elsewhere, but it's still new enough that we need to kind of push on this. And I think it's just because through uh, good relationships and, and good work, I think that we've been able, that you're able to steer funders or to get good alignment to funders on what, what work needs to be done. It seems like the IEJ is fairly autonomous and that this is where a lot of its value comes from, as this enables the Institute to deliver on its vision, probably combined with its ability to engender partnerships and connection with other actors in South Africa. Wanting to dig a bit more into the IEJ's connections to broader knowledge networks, one really interesting connection that the IEJ has established is that with the Rethinking Economics for Africa movement. So can you tell us a bit more about RIFA and the IEJ's relationship with it and why RIFA is important to the IEJ? So RIFA, um, stands for Rethinking Economics for Africa, is a national um, movement uh, of rethinking economics. Uh, RIFA is affiliated to the international uh, rethinking economics. Kind of the whole movement uh, mission uh, is to, on the one hand, reform economics education, so economics teaching and learning, to make it more accessible and more pluralist, uh, but also to, there's a component on building a community of progressive students and future academics. Third pillar of the mission is to diversify and decolonize economics uh, teaching and learning. Uh, so that means making sure economics draws from many more perspectives uh, and that we hear people of, of different backgrounds, uh, races, genders, abilities, etc. Why the IJ cares about RIFA, I think is because RIFA has a very important role in very aligned to the IJ's own mission, which is creating a future crop of economists who will completely challenge the, the current discourse. If you've kind of had a hand in growing future economists who come out of university more informed and then go into these institutions, they'll have a, a better mindset to actually incorporate all the things that we should be having in, in, a, in, a, in a better economics uh, system. So considering issues of race and gender and geography and history and all those things that have an impact on how we do economics. Thank you for your insights, Pandila. At the launch of the IEJ, Professor Tandikam Kandawira concluded his lecture by saying, You have said the Institute for Economic Justice, which means you really have to take both very seriously, the justice part and the economics part. Sometimes they look at, they look at odds, because, because economics can be got graphs and diagrams and so forth. But the whole idea is to link up those two rigorous economics with rigorous notions of justice. And you can do it. I think you can do it. Four years later, the IEJ has successfully established itself as one of the foremost progressive socio-economic policy think tanks in South Africa. And listening to Mandile, it's clear to see why. There are a few points to highlight from our discussion that are worth thinking about in relation to the importance of knowledge production in development. First, knowledge production, especially when geared towards social justice, must be intentional. Contrary to neoclassical beliefs that knowledge is rational and should not be muddied by subjective views, knowledge is in fact always for someone and for some purpose. It is always grounded in biases, belief systems, and paradigms. So, to produce knowledge that breaks from orthodoxy requires the intention to find alternatives. The IEJ makes a point to position itself as a progressive organization, advancing the interests of the marginalized. At the same time, however, and this is the second takeaway point, producers of alternative or heterodox forms of knowledge must be careful to still adhere to some norms of hegemonic knowledge paradigms. This is partly a tactical decision to still speak the same language of orthodox approaches. In this case, 
the IEJ remains careful to back up its economic research with rigorous models to avoid the common criticism from the orthodox wing that progressive economics lacks rigor. Now, whether that criticism is fair or not is besides the point. The IEJ knows that it must take extra care to avoid such bad faith smears. This also ensures its research is respected by other scholars, policymakers, business and the public. Finally, what makes the IEJ unique in South Africa and a primary reason behind its success is how the Institute has partnered with progressive forces and civil society groups. The IEJ does not just produce research, but arms these groups with rigorous economic analysis that is needed to get policymakers listening. Furthermore, in supporting the Rethinking Economics for Africa movement in university, the IEJ is helping students reflect on the values that are intrinsic within the economic doctrines that are taught in syllabuses. It is clear that the IEJ is not just working in isolation to produce knowledge with social values in mind, but is actively trying to restructure how knowledge is produced and shared from universities, civil society groups, and within policymaking circles. The IJ, by being one of the only research institutes in South Africa which takes on this role of connecting research and advocacy, highlights how disconnected the current structure of knowledge production is from both civil society and social value. Addressing this disconnect seems to be a key aspect of producing knowledge for economic justice. The need for homegrown knowledge, which is grounded in African experience, is evidently not a uniquely South African problem, with this gap existing with varying degrees across the continent. We still think there are a few lessons that can be taken forward for future endeavours to fill the knowledge production gap in Africa. Namely, the IEJ's experience with driving Rethinking Economics for Africa in South African universities opens up a valuable conversation, as discussed previously, at a university level and could be used in other contexts to drive pluralist and original economics perspectives. Additionally, the IJ's focus on collaborating with civil society and unions enables policy prescriptions that are integrated with the economic realities of the nation, something that could and should be emulated in other contexts. It is evident from the case of the IEJ that the process of building and promoting African knowledge production supports transformative development in an African context. Importantly, other institutions like the IEJ do exist elsewhere in Africa, but building cross-continent connections between these organizations so that they may support each other better and share projects and foreign funding could be crucial for driving knowledge production on the continent in support of transformative development. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citing Africa. Until next time. Thank you.